0: To the Words Work at Microsoft podcast with your hosts, Jennifer Boss and Amy King. On this pod, we'll be chatting about how Microsoft culture has evolved, starting with the way we talk. In each episode, we'll interview someone within the Microsoft writing community, giving you an inside look at how we approach our work and hopefully offering up a heavy dose of tips and tricks along the way. I'm your host, Jen Boss. And I'm a writer and strategist in the Office 365 Design Studio. And with me is my co-host, Amy King.
1: Hi, I'm Amy. I'm a UX writer for the My Analytics and Workplace Analytics team, design team, inside the Office 365 Design Studio. Awesome.
0: So, hey, Amy, now that we're a few episodes into the pod, you and I talked about it's a good time to tell listeners a little bit more about ourselves so that you know you guys get to know us and get a feel for what you can expect from our podcast. Uh, For those of you who have listened to a few other episodes, you'll know we like to start things off with a silly getting to know you question. So Amy, today's question actually comes from you.
1: It does. I'm (laughs)
0: going Okay, if you could design a personal writing studio, would it be like Mark Twain with a billiards table in the middle? Or are you more like E.B. White, a table, a typewriter, and a shed, looking out at the water?
1: Mm, So definitely more like E.B. White in that I want a big table and my clacking mechanical keyboard to my computer um next to the water but instead of a shed I really I obsess about a writing studio and I have like an entire Pinterest board of writing studios and I actually (laughs) want to take a greenhouse that so just a full glass building in the woods filled with plants and any other knickknacks I want and so I would say that my ideal writing studio is probably a greenhouse (laughs) <laughs> That's <awesome>. For some <laughs> reason,
0: I'm visualizing this uh, Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman movie where they have like the their white witches. Oh, yeah. They yes! have this uh, medicinal <laughs> greenhouse and it's all like Victorian and plants. And... Yes. <laughs> nice. Are you thinking more modern than that? My brain go going a different direction?
1: No, probably like old repurposed wood um, counters along the wall with plants that are semi-potted and stuff yeah no I definitely that is my aesthetic (laughs) (laughs) what about you
0: I love this question because it's told me two things about writers that I did not know I did not know that Mark Twain had a billiard table in his uh writing room (laughs) uh neither did I know the specifics of E.B. White's situation but I would say that if it was a comparison of, you know, Mark Twain and Evie White, I love the idea of uh, a table, a typewriter, in the water. All right, Evie. Um, let's dig into this episode, because I'm curious about little old you. Hmm. Can you give us uh, a background about, uh, you know, a little bit background about you, and what's your story?
1: How'd you get started? How'd I get started? Well, um, I started studying art history because I thought that I was going to be a uh, fairy tale writer and wanted to use all of the inspiration of the art museum in Portland, Oregon because when I visited they were showcasing the carriage that um, that influenced the Brothers Grimm story Cinderella and I thought oh my gosh this is perfect. Oh my. Yeah. And so <laughs> that was my senior year of high school. And so I went and I decided to study art history. Um, and then I graduated in 2010. And according to Forbes, art history was the least likely hireable position to have in the United States for that year. Awesome. So <laughs> so I, um, I had a work study job over at University of Washington with the social development research group and I was their assistant admin and then the longer I worked there I started to get to do quality control contacting all of their um, study participants and then doing all the data entry and by proxy was just kind of absorbing all this information about human behavior and then that kind of transitioned into being a nanny because, um, grant funding kind of limited the group and they had to cut some positions. And so I, uh, started working with, um, kids again, which is how I paid for college and ended up getting to work with kids on the autistic spectrum and with behavior disorders. And, um, and through that, Uh, started working with some behavior specialists and that led me to dipping my toes into the behavior modification pool. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the term behavior modification, the gist is basically um, through positive reinforcement and natural consequences, you can reform a person's behavior patterns. And in this case, it was children with unsafe and aggressive behaviors. And um, from there, kind of just Started absorbing human patterns and motivations and, uh, and then worked in real estate and in a real estate office and started doing more marketing side of things and actually started um, doing copywriting, which I'd never really done prior to that job. And, uh, and then my friend called me up and said, Hey, I've got someone who wants to hire a writer. So I gave her your name. And that was Anna Gregory that I ended up having a phone call with a week later. And then two days later having lunch with the team. And then I ended up here and I've been doing UX writing for about 15 months at Microsoft. And it's been an awesome whirlwind experience.
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh, <that's awesome. laughs> I love it. It's I don't know. Listening to it from a third-party perspective, it just sounds like such a hero's journey towards that initial dream of fairy tale writing because you have mm-hmm. your art history, like this rich wealth of you know, um, knowledge and ideas to pool off of. You've got the, the, the nanny kids understanding what motivates them, how they talk. And then the sales and marketing side of it is you know, pitching your book to somebody else. So you're totally building towards a bigger goal, I feel.
1: I'm on track. (laughs) You're on
0: track. Doesn't that feel good?
1: Yeah. Uh, What's
0: that like, Amy?
1: Um, (laughs) So, you actually started out fighting fires in the forest as a side hustle while you were in school, and then you became a voice strategy evangelist at Microsoft. Can we get kind of a history of that? But also, can you tell me which is the greater challenge? Um. Okay, so I guess I'll do the, I'll rattle off the quick history. Um,
0: I originally went to school to become an environmental scientist. Um, I I did start spending my summers uh, working in the woods. I uh, got a job at the Forest Service and just really fell in love with being in the woods. And so my, you know, my path wandered and I decided to switch schools, change my major and go into forestry and geology. Um, Mm -hmm. And then... Friends were graduating before me. Um, I was hearing firsthand how difficult it was for them to land any work besides seasonal work. And we were already doing seasonal work in school without a degree. So uh, I just kind of had a um, crisis of conscience about what I really wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to spend it. And, uh, you know, did I really want to be humping up hills in my 60s um, working a seasonal hourly job? And um, I'd always been writing um, throughout college. And so I decided to pursue that path. And I actually ended up uh, with a degree in technical communication. So, you know, on paper, I I guess I do follow that, you know, I have a degree (laughs) that (laughs) somewhat aligns with the job description. Uh, I just took a a long path towards it.
1: But yeah, and then, gosh, what was the second part of that? Uh, Which is the greater challenge between that job and being a um, voice strategy evangelist at Microsoft?
0: What is the greater challenge?
1: Um, Gosh, you know, you'd think
0: the answer would be so apparent. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I'll see. know i kind of maybe it's just because i those memories are in my memories and they don't feel as visceral and i'm i'm Mm -hmm. in the heat of it right now but i'd say that you know i think voice strategy is a bigger challenge and i'm going to say that because at least with this is going to sound maybe a little cynical but at least with the wildfire you know the need for a firefighter is apparent to folks uh, because they want to save their property uh they know you know how to do the job, uh, they don't want to do it, and um, and there's authority there. But voice strategy is kind of a new role inside of our organization. Um, and, you know, although we're trying to inspire and, and um, create great work, it, some people might see it as we're coming in and challenging them and challenging their processes, and that's just part of the change. But it is it, – it's exhausting because it's not just that you're – doing the job that you were hired to do, but you're also literally convincing the people to let you do it. Um, um, So great, yeah, gosh, I guess that's a little bit about how we got started. Let's talk about the work we actually do here. I touched on it a little bit, but um, Mm -hmm. I I guess I would say that parallelism is – we work inside of a design studio, and we know that there are different types of designers. Not everyone does the exact same job. There are visual designers, UX designers, illustrators, you know, motion animators, um, and there are actually, I believe, different types of writers, different specialties. And Amy, can you, since your role is UX writer for the My Analytics and Workplace Analytics teams, can you tell us about what a UX writer does?
1: Yeah. um, Ideally, a UX writer will shape the content experience and create a connection between product function and user needs and emotions. That includes copywriting for the product's interface, but it's also a piece of the design. It's coming at the very beginning and um, helping to drive the the purpose and point of a function. It's not just, um, oh, you have a button here. Let me write the string for that button. Or um, here's a tool tip. It's actually thinking about it holistically and uh, thinking about the user's emotional state and trying to tap into the empathy that um, maybe I'm biased here, but I'm going to generalize and say writers have to have that empathy in order to um, communicate effectively to a wide variety of users. And so it's taking a, a greater step towards actual design of content, and it's a more holistic approach to copywriting, I think, is what I would say, my experience as a UX writer has been.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's a, a, definitely a distinct difference between how maybe this work had been done in the past where um, teams might actually draft their, their in-product copy by themselves and then maybe there'd be an editor on the team. And the editor would then kind of um, polish up their thinking but not really challenging that thinking. And yeah. the importance of having a writer working lockstep with the team in designing is that it is information architecture, uh, and that's what writers are specialists in. So it's not just even, uh, you know, the first part of the job isn't in the words that you say exactly, it's in the ideas that are being conveyed and making sure that it's in a kind of very Distinct and um, seamless way, and then it becomes the nuance of language um, and how how you say something and how you make someone feel are just as important.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and it even goes back to yesterday having a conversation with uh, my team. We were in a uh, weekly update and talking about some some confusion and what our creative director was um, thinking was he our current designs that we had okayed and said yeah let's do this upon further thinking realized you know this is really confusing and we're having to um, bring in copy to explain the functionality and so it's it's bringing in the UX writer to and the design team and the, the engineers to discuss holistically how the experience works and, oh, if we are having to rely heavily on writing in order to get the user to understand the function, then maybe we need to reassess how we actually apply the function of the product. And um, so that's... Ideally, what a UX writer does and how the process works—it's everybody together, um, challenging our whys and um, asking questions and coming up together with a best experience.
0: Yeah, that's that's what makes us such great partners. Is our, we're good at asking questions. <laughs>
1: um, I'm really and good I at asking. That.
0: That. <laughs> yeah. I love so uh, I love that. That's actually, like, a great tip right there uh, kind of hugged into that answer is um, if you are writing a lot of copy, that's a red red flag that something's wrong with the design.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. so that's a good one.
1: Yeah. Nice. So what about you, Jen? Can you tell us more about your role as a voice strategist? Yeah, so, let's see.
0: I guess um, I'll start at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I yeah, it's almost three years ago, uh, Anna Gregory invited me to join the studio. And she was uh, just getting started designing this new role that we called uh, Voice Strategy. And really, you can pre- break it down literally by that role. It's two parts. It's, um, part of it is evangelizing uh, Microsoft mm-hmm. brand voice principles um, across the office organization. And across the company, really. Um, and it's about making sure we all know who we are and what we're for and how we need to show up in this world. Uh, then on the strategy side of things, well, really, we're talking about creative strategy. And that's where you know I write uh, the creative briefs that help teams um, and distinct uh, distill their ideas uh, into like a great, motivating, Um, insight that resonates with creatives to help them start making decisions. Because too often you get into biz dev and product marketing uh, leading these uh, conversations with creative, and and they write these specs that are very, very dense because Mm -hmm. they are answering questions for uh, engineering that needs to know every level of detail uh, about the requirements and, and technical constraints and whatnot or from the marketing side of things where it's kind of led with business and dollars and KPIs that they need to hit. And that's not information that resonates uh, and sparks creative work. Um, and so that's where this role sits as a bridge between design, engineering, and marketing to light that fire. But at the end of the day, you know, we really, we're writers, so we're wordsmiths, and we're really there to help direct language inside of the studio um, because, you know, like we were talking about with the UX writing, we believe that the best words work wonders. They tell stories and show a fresh, fresh perspective and they make you think. We don't treat mm-hmm. people like they're, you know, we don't treat our customers like they're dumb. Talk to them in a in, in a smart way that actually engages them. And and sometimes, you know, you can do something that just makes their day and makes it all worth the while. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I love so, you know, the creative Amy, brief. <laughs> <laughs> because I I definitely, like, you know, as you're working on a product, the longer you're on it and the more times you have to uh, really explain why you chose the words that you chose, it's really... A wonderful foundation and support system to have this creative brief brief that we set out to as a team at the very beginning saying this is the goal of how we want to talk to our users and then if we do start to deviate from that path we have this this collectively agreed upon document that we can revert back to and say oh here this this is the heart of what we're doing this is this is our goal so let's come back to it and let's refocus our communications.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's literally a one pager, super fast, super brief to brief the creative. <laughs> and it's a contract to make sure that all of us are on the same page as to what our goals are, what we're trying to achieve. And then it actually really helps when at the end of the day, we're uh, presenting um, our work back to our client. Um, It helps them in evaluating that work, right? This is what we agreed upon. Here's how we've delivered it. Does it meet the brief? And it helps to take some of that subjectivity out of um, evaluating the work because a lot of times um, the, the clients that you're working with, they might not have ever worked with a creative before and they just don't know how to provide feedback. It can be very difficult to be articulate Mm-hmm. um And so, giving them some boundaries, reminding them, and not making it in—you know—sometimes when you ask somebody a question, they feel like, th- or ask for um feedback, they feel like they have to give feedback. Like they're not doing their job unless they say something, <laughs> even mm-hmm. though they might not. It might not be super important to them. They they just sort of feel like they they need to say something, and it stops that in, and nips that in the bud too. Like, yeah, yeah. no, this actually that meets the brief. We're good to go. So, mm-hmm. yeah yeah um well yeah so that's one of the great little things that uh we've got going for us in the studio but you know you mentioned earlier that this is your first role um inside of the company and you've been here for a little over a year now I'm wondering how that year's been do you feel like you've changed at all and more importantly do you think that your writing has changed
1: yeah um if it hasn't, then I think I've had my blinders on and not <laughs> been doing my job <laughs> because yeah, okay. you, sh- you, should- you should definitely be um, learning and growing or at least striving to. Um, and though there are many lessons that I have yet to learn, like when to say enough is enough and just say, you know what, let's ship this. I don't need to pour over this anymore or agonize about that verb that I chose, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I would say that I've become more holistic in my approach. I, um, I no longer say, "Well, I wrote this because it felt good," <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's like, "Oh yeah, well, this made sense to me, so I wrote it." Instead, I'm now actually, I have the vocabulary and the. Skills now to really dig into why did I choose those words? What what about this meets that uh, creative brief goal? And um, and also I've gotten a lot better at ch- um, shortening my words. <laughs> like I mm-hmm. remember I remember starting. Not that you can't have more words to really convey an emotion, but sometimes you are getting, I would say that I had a very passive voice when I started and I'd like to think that I have a more active tone and, um, and I, I'm much better at finding the meat of the matter and really going for that. And um, But while still being honest to that uh, creative side, that warm and relaxed that we always, we seek to achieve with our Microsoft voice guidelines. I've
0: used that so many
1: times. It's crisp and clear, warm and relaxed, ready to lend a hand. And I, I mean, I did my first tone guide this year for my analytics and workplace analytics, and I'd never done that before. And that was such a fun process to go through to really think about what is the personality of our product why do we talk the way do we talk and then pulling in my um behavior and social research background and being like this is how we this is how you elicit change in behavior so this is why we talk this way and um and so I would say that I've really um Yeah, like I said at the beginning, it's a much more holistic approach that I take to writing and I'm way more articulate about my process. And that makes me uh, feel like I can then assess my process and uh, be more certain of it, but also find areas that I need to question my process and say, is there a better way to do this? Is there something I'm missing here? And yeah.
0: Yeah, I really like those voice principles as well. Um, like you were saying with process and, and, and learning foundation, I like to use those voice principles as like a checklist. Um, mm-hmm. And that can kind of come back to something that you said earlier about sometimes cutting too many words creates a very terse tone in the language. Mm-hmm. So um, if we visualize the voice principles as a checklist, the very first one is crisp and clear, and then the second one is warm and relaxed. And some people may argue that they um, rub against each other, like how can you be crisp and clear and warm and relaxed. And so when I um, am doing these voice trainings, the way that I like to talk about it is at the very very minimum when you first get started, crisp and clear really means do you know your singular intent of what you're trying to convey? Um, Are you crisp and clear in what your idea is? Okay, and then you write that down. And then comes edit pass number one. Edit pass number one is when you read that, is it warm and relaxed sounding or is it direct and a little bit too much to the point of the matter? Uh, And then after you go through your warm and relaxed edit, you go to your last edit, ready to lend a hand. When you read that, where is the customer in it? What is the next step that you are giving them? What is that, you know, where are you taking them? And then that's just kind of like an easy one two three checklist that we can give the entire company to help them um try and achieve those voice principles in all of our um writing to uh, that customer's read so yeah, I don't know that's why uh yeah, that's just um all like little hidden nuggets of of helpful tips to uh, helpful tips. anyone that's they're listening.
1: <laughs> I love them they're and like you said it's a great checklist and keeps you keeps you on track and also kind of takes the insecurity out of it you go well should i say it like this well yeah because it meets these three guidelines and i'm good with it so let's move on but um yeah all right so we're going to i'm going to switch to a different kind of question and uh ah uh, I'm wondering whose writing gets you excited to be a writer, Jen?
0: Ooh, wow. That's a big open question. Um, (laughs) Well,
1: see, I'm really good at asking questions and saying now I answer them. (laughs) 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 Uh, Spotlight now.
0: Um, (laughs) uh, There's great writing. It gets me excited to be a writer and that really can come from anywhere. Um, and really Mm -hmm. it's not just about the writing. Um, for me, you know, great writing, it's about the thinking too. It's about changing, maybe changing my perspective on something, changing the conversation. Um, okay. Uh, I guess, um, something that I've been looking at, uh, so it's top of mind for me right now is I really love, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen these, the Tate Museum has this, long copy campaign, which you don't really see a lot of long copy campaigns anymore. Um, mm-hmm. What's it called? What's it called? I think it's called uh, 500 Stories, I think. Yeah. Don't, don't quote me on that. And, but it's, it's so brilliant. Um, essentially the campaign is they talk about the bravery and reality behind an artist's work. Um, and they take an old topic uh, or an old piece of art so you might love this uh, nice. like Francis Francis Bacon's art and they make it feel current and fresh and so they change the conversation um, I'm gonna I'll, I'll put it in the in the show notes and I'll send it to you so that you can read these it's just brilliant I love it um, so who... what, what let me let me narrow that more for you okay Um. Uh, do you have like a particular piece of writing that inspired you or advice you've been given? I mean, you can also answer that if you have a great a writer that in particular impacts you. I'd love to hear all of
1: them, really. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say that the short stories written by Neil Gaiman right now. Uh, he has a series of short stories. It's called Trigger Warnings. It's his book and it's a collection. Um, that made me rethink a lot of my personal writing. But in regards to... Um, Uh, advice that I'd been given this year it actually came from you and Anna and that was um, I think you have a a PowerPoint presentation that you do how to get how to um, how to give good feedback or how to what is it called evaluating creative work how to evaluate creative work yeah and and so I was flipping through that one time you sent me and I was like oh man this is brilliant I need to do this and what it was was essentially teaching your non-writing partners how to be good partners and it was um, outlining your goals and asking for the feedback that you're wanting and so it's not just an ambiguous hey let me know what you think of this or let me know if it doesn't work it's literally this is what I've written this is why I have written it this is how it maps to our content goals and I need feedback on if you think it doesn't map to that or if you think it's unclear how it achieves those goals and it's it's guiding your partners to make you a better writer, even though they aren't necessarily writers and might not have the vocabulary or the understanding that, at least for me, I take for granted, like, oh, I understand why this works. So um, that was the biggest (laughs) life-saving piece of advice I'd had because I was going into these reviews for my copy and I was like, I don't I don't understand why they don't get it (laughs) and I don't understand why we're talking about this word and why did we bring the thesaurus out? I don't understand. And then I realized that, Oh, well, I'm not being a good partner and I'm because I'm not helping them understand how to, um, how to assess my work. And so I started doing that outline and I have to say it was, um, A game changer on alleviating frustrations that I had been having and um, and it actually taught me that I was making too many assumptions on understood knowledge like my creative director when I was doing my voice and tone guide said I don't know what you mean by voice how is it different from tone you need you're assuming that I understand what voice is you need to really uh, break that out for me and explain it to me because there's program managers and
0: yeah, N- never assume knowledge. Yeah, for sure. Peace. Really, never that's assume a great knowledge. Question. Yeah. Um, let's let's put a pause on the question because I think that that's something that um, I will call us out for doing. We have not yet on the pod, have we? Talked about mm-hmm. the difference between voice and tone. Uh, do you want me to answer that, or do you would you like to give it a go?
1: Um. Well. I can give it a go since I (laughs) put it in my voice guy. So voice is really just it voice and tone together is your style, but the voice is the, the piece that is consistent. It's always the same. So for Microsoft, our voice is the the crisp and clear, warm and relaxed, ready to lend a hand. It's how we present ourselves and how we want to communicate, and then the tone comes in, and that is, that maps to every situation, so that will constantly be changing in order to fit what the situation is, and it's, it's the emotion side, it's when you're, when you have an error state, it's understanding that the user is going to be frustrated or they might be panicked depending on how severe the the error is and so your tone has to be reassuring it has to comfort but it also has to give the next steps and so um so I guess that a general idea it's um how I described it for tone tone is the persuasion it um it's it's how you convince someone of something because of the, the language that you're using. Yeah. So, Jen, how do you go about tackling a piece of writing? And what has changed about your process, process since you moved from content pub, publishing over to voice strategy? Uh,
0: yeah. The, the piece that's different
1: for me, it's a creative brief. It is the most recent
0: addition to my process. It's the first thing I do before anything else because um, it really just helps me with if there was any kind of writer's block. Even uh, the brief is just about <coughs> articulating the basic building blocks of your communication. It's the tool for getting crisp in your thinking um, and then aligning everyone on that and then digging into the creative work. Um, Cause you don't want to rush into solving a problem unless you know what the problem is. Uh, and it's, 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 that's easy to do. It's easy to just start solving and less questioning the, why do I need to solve it? And what exactly am I solving? So yeah, that's, I'd say the brief is definitely my, my biggest change in process.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. so handy, especially with the writer's block. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so there we go. Our
0: brief for this particular episode was to get to know us and what we do. And I think we nailed it. Yes.
1: (laughs) And also looking
0: at the clock, I think our time is up. So Amy, thank you for this fun episode. I feel like I learned a lot more about you. And hopefully sharing our quirky stories will help people understand what we're about because really that's like I said, the goal of the podcast to um, create and support the writing community to share our experiences and tips and, you know, lessons learned to make us
1: stronger and better together. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. Your review will help others find us. You can also head to our blog at wordsworkpodcast.com. Leave us comments on the blog post for this episode. Thanks.